Welcome into the Galloway Podcast, episode 64. Today is Friday, January 15th, 2021. I'm your host, William Galloway, and on today's podcast, I'm joined by Aaron Suttles of The Athletic to break down Alabama football in their 2020 national championship season on Monday. The Crimson Tide won number 18 in Miami as Nick Saban showed that he continues to dominate college football just really exciting times around Tuscaloosa. 2021 is off to a fantastic start for UA Athletics as a whole. We'll get into that and around Alabama Athletics. Like I said, we'll talk to Aaron, and as we always do, we'll start with what's new. So once again, I want to thank you for choosing the Galloway Podcast. The Galloway Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as SoundCloud. So check it out on those three platforms. If you enjoy the podcast, Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. Share with your friends on your social media. Would love for you to do that. And so let's go ahead and jump right in. I want to remind everybody that if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or feedback regarding the podcast, you can hit me up on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Diving into what's new in the world of sports, really only want to harp on one thing because there's so much to get to in around Alabama athletics. Urban Meyer in Jacksonville as the head coach of the Jaguars. You know, something he said just a handful of years ago, not even a handful, just a couple of years ago. Yeah, I'm done with college uh, coaching, done with coaching football. And yeah, he is done with college coaching. And But he is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so Urban Meyer getting back into the game once again. We knew, we knew he'd be back at some point. We knew he'd surface somewhere. Did I expect it to be the Jacksonville Jaguars? Absolutely not. But good for Urban Meyer and that new job moving up to the NFL really interested to see how he does in terms of you know coaching in the NFL is coaching is so different than coaching in college football and and that is evident as Nick Saban's results uh, when you look at those from Miami to LSU to Alabama it's just a different ball game it's football all the same but it's a different type of coaching so really interested to see what Urban Meyer is going to be able to do for the Jacksonville Jaguars as their new head coach. Um, and as I said, we're going to get to a lot in around Alabama athletics. There's so much going on in Tuscaloosa from early move-in to successful start to 2021. And so let's go ahead and jump into the interview with Aaron right now, talking about Alabama football. And we'll get to some of those points of coaching turnover, of player turnover, of what's going to be new in 2021, what to look for in the offseason. So without further ado, here is Aaron Suttles on the Galloway Podcast. I'm joined now by Aaron Suttles of The Athletic here on the Galloway Podcast. Aaron, thank you so much for taking some time, and it's been a busy week. You've been all over the place. How you doing? I'm well, man. Thanks for having me. Good, good. Well, uh, you were in Miami on Monday and spent last weekend there, so I want to go ahead and ask you as we dive into Alabama football 2020 analysis, the clock hit zero. Alabama won its 18th national championship. What was going through your mind uh, Monday night, early Tuesday morning in Miami? Yeah, I'd, I'd begin to think about what I would write uh, if Alabama completed the perfect season. And, and so the whole tenor in my head was um, one perfection, but, but beyond that, um, I, I really got a sense that this team was special. Nick Saban had been saying it throughout the year. We sort of got a sense of just how ridiculous that offense was, but how close that team was in terms of the chemistry. And, and so I just came to the conclusion – and asked the question uh, to several of the players to Nick Saban, is, is this the greatest season one Alabama's ever had? But beyond that, it's, it's really starting to resonate that it might be the greatest individual season a college football team's ever had 
period, given the fact of, of all the metrics they put up on offense and, you know, the pandemic year, losing Nick Saban for, we thought two games, but ended up being one game, players in and out, the injuries they dealt with. I just think everything they've overcome in this sort of uh, weird year, I think they got a, a pretty good case to, to stake claim to the, the best season ever. Yeah, and talk about some of the things that Alabama had to do. You mentioned Nick Saban, you know, two positive tests. One of those was a false positive. But Nick Saban is such a detail-oriented coach, and there are things that go on behind the scenes, and we don't see as much. And the fans don't see as much. The media doesn't see as much, certainly this year. But from what you know, what went on behind the curtain to ensure as few positive tests as possible with this Alabama football team? And what are some of the things that they had to endure, not just COVID, but protocols and making sure they had a successful full season? Yeah, I've, I've never had a, a COVID test, but I've, I've, I know people uh, who have. And it's very uncomfortable. Um, and the fact that those players and staff subjected themselves to that every day throughout the season, the fact, and this is what, this is what resonates to me and what makes this team so special. They're, they're 18 to 22 year old kids and, and they're not kids, they're men, but they're 18 to 22 years old and they're in college. And that's some of the most fun times of your life. And the fact that they gave up basically one semester uh, of their college life, not going out, um, staying home, um, which, you know, they have opportunities to go out a lot and have a lot of fun. And the fact that the majority of them didn't, which is, I think is evident by the fact that they really had no serious COVID problems throughout the years. They adhered to what the, the standards were, the protocols were at Alabama. They, they gave up fun, you know, fun nights out with their friends and, and, and going out and doing all the things that college students do willingly to, to sort of sacrifice getting to the point where they got to, um, that sticks out to me a lot because uh, I think if you look around college football, it's pretty evident that not all those teams did that. And, and I just think that the fact that they – it shows the closeness of this team, that, that their goal was really what they accomplished and how they were going to get there, what they needed to do and sacrifice. The fact that the majority of them, you know, outside of that Christmas break that Nick Saban gave them, didn't see their family for an entire semester, especially ones that, that live out of state. So I just think it – everything came together, what they sacrificed made this team very special. It was really interesting to follow kind of being in media now looking for sound bites of Nick Saban and wanting to hear revealing things about what they were doing in their program. And time after time, he went back to the point of, you know, you adapt or die, whatever you do this season, you have to adapt and you have to overcome adversity in order to be successful and while I always was looking for something on my end, and I'm sure you were on your end as well, you know, new revealing quotes, finding out what they're doing, he stuck to the basics. And he really, you know, that was his message all season was adapt or die. And, and obviously they did adapt and they were successful. Uh, we don't have to get too far into the 2019 LSU versus 2020 Alabama. But when you think about that, and the two comparisons, what stands out to you in terms of the success that Alabama was able to have this year versus the success Ed Orgeron and Joe Burrow had last year? Let me first establish 2019 LSU was, was awesome. And, and we saw them come into Tuscaloosa. They beat Alabama by five points. Um, they were a phenomenal football team. I think in my mind, what separates the two is that Mac Jones and that offense did it all against Power 5 competition. And that's 13 games of Power 5, 11 in the SEC, 
a Notre Dame and Ohio State. Um, a, a schedule like that has never been played in the history of college football, at least in the modern, modern era, where there were no gimme games. And they were doing it, and they, and they did it, William, with – I'd have to go back and check, but to my recollection, I think they lost one starter due to a COVID, and that was uh, Evan Neal versus Arkansas. He didn't make the trip. I, I may be mistaken there, but that's the only thing that comes to mind right off the top of my head. So the, the fact that um, the schedule to me, the, they were so dominant against that schedule sort of gives them an edge in my mind. Although if, if you, you know, any, any objective observer that wants to favor 2019 LSU would get no argument for me. They were a phenomenal football team, but Alabama did it with all of these obstacles in front of them and they did it against an all power five uh, schedule. And they were fun to watch too. I mean, a lot of people, national media especially, they're getting so tired of Nick Saban, so tired of the success. What have you seen this week in terms of just bogus columns, bogus articles? Because you've covered, is it every national championship at Alabama? Yeah, during the Saban era, yeah. Um, yeah, and so you've got people that are just saying, oh, this is no fun. Well, if it's no fun to you, don't don't watch. Go cover another sport. But this is fun. This is winning. And I say that as I'm a senior at Alabama and seen two national championships. But what do you make of these just bogus excuses for journalism? I think there's a couple of different issues at play in my mind. I think there are some people that cover college sports that don't seem to like college sports. Um, and, and listen, I – I try to be an objective journalist and I will cover the, the, the hard hitting negative stuff when I need to. But for the most part, I'm covering college football. It's fun. I'm not covering the white house. I'm not covering political discourse. It doesn't need to be serious, serious, serious all the time. There are issues in college sports. Absolutely. Name likeness and image is a very serious issue that's going on right now that will shape uh, college sports for how we consume it for the next you know 50 years. It's a very, but, but, have some fun. And there appear to be a lot of people um, covering college football. that don't seem to like college football. They only want to point out the negatives. The most negative thing that I saw that was ridiculous. And I, I believe it was from USA today proposed a, um, a sort of redistribution of talent to stop Alabama and that, you know, lowering scholarships, which I've never understood the argument for people who all, these are the same people that want college athletes to be paid, but they're the first ones to say, well, let's, let's limit the scholarships of programs like Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. Well, that would have a trickle-down effect, certainly, but at the end of the day, they're going to be 1,000, 1,300 kids without a, without a college scholarship. So on one hand, they really want college athletes to be paid, but on the other end, they're completely fine robbing uh, potential student-athletes of a free education. So it, it doesn't square in my mind. I, I think – I think what we have here is very it, – it, it's a very – it goes to the psyche of people, right? We like excellence. We love to see excellence. But at some point, we can't stand sustained excellence. It's why you root for the underdog to knock off Duke in the NCAA tournament. It's why you want the Lakers to lose. It's why you want the Yankees to lose. We love excellence. But if that excellence goes for a too long, sustained period of time, we don't like it anymore. And I think that's where we are with Alabama. And I think I've been going back to this on Twitter all week. I totally agree that 2009 through 2012 with Alabama, three national championships in four years, four coming from the state of Alabama, including Auburn, they said, we got to do something. So they made the playoff. Well, Alabama's made the playoff, is it six out of seven years? And then they said, okay, well, Nick Saban dominates 
National Recruiting Day, so let's make an early signing period and make it while he's still playing for the SEC championship. Well, he's still able to dominate both of those. And so it goes back to that 2020 adapt or die mentality. And, and as long as Nick Saban has that head coach parking spot in Tuscaloosa and is getting paid that hefty salary, good luck to the rest of college football because he's going to adapt or die and he's adapted year after year as he goes into year 14. Aaron, I want to ask you about year 14. A lot of things going on currently in Tuscaloosa and things I'm sure will unfold over the next couple days, but Saban's assistance. uh, We've seen it year after year. 2017 especially was a big year, but turnover. It almost seems like the Malmore facility right now is completely empty of football assistance. What do you know and what are you expecting this offseason as Nick Saban tries to bring in people to prepare for the 2021 season? Yeah, it's, it's just part of being Nick Saban and having success is that people want to copy that success. They want your recipe for success. So they hire people that have had success in your program. Where it really adds up to weaken, I think, the foundation of Alabama football is it's not so much that you lose a Jeremy Pruitt or Kirby Smart or even Steve Sarkeesian. It's the fact that those guys take people maybe behind the scenes that the average fan don't see. Um, we know Sarkeesian is going to take Kyle Flood. He's t- taking Jeff Banks. But he may take four or five, six analysts that we never really saw. Um, the hardcore people know who they are, but the average fan doesn't saw. So I think it weakens the foundation of your organization. But as you mentioned, Saban's the ultimate adapt guy, and he, he always finds a way to adapt some seasons more successful than others. You mentioned that 2017 season, they had 70% turnover from that staff. And, and right now it's going to be another heavy, heavily turned over staff. I, I think right now, um, you know, Bill O'Brien's is going to be the OC. I think they're looking at a couple of different guys at the offensive line position. I know it was sort of reported that Jeff Stoutland was sort of the main guy. I think there are some other people mixed, mixed in with that as well. Saban has, has always done a really good job of, of keeping abreast of young, talented coordinators because his sort of network, they're, they're, those guys already have head coaching jobs or they're elsewhere. So he's had to get creative in, in sort of degrees of separation. Like take, for instance, Pete Golding. He found out Pete Golding through Bo, Bo Davis, and they work together. And so he relies on his still network of guys that they've worked with who they consider bright and up-and-coming. That's how you end up with Pete Golden. That's how you end up with Carl Scott. So I think he'll continue to work that. But it's getting more and more difficult the more his sort of branches of his tree sort of become seedlets and trees of their own. So it's a, it's a very difficult job being in year 14, 15, continuing to have your, um, your organization just sort of sieged upon. But Nick Saban has is, is, is handled it better than most. And it'll be interesting to watch with this uh, incoming recruiting class, which is arguably could be better than the 2017, depending on how they pan out. And one thing I'm looking for in this offseason is how the players develop in spring practice and have spring ball and have a full season, full offseason with um, Dr. Ray and Coach Ballou uh, with strength and conditioning and training and all that. That'll be really interesting to see the longevity because obviously they weren't on campus for a full off season last year. Aaron, what are a couple things that you're looking for with this Alabama program throughout the off season, whether it's players, staffing, what are a couple things you have your eye on? Yeah, obviously it starts to me with the, the staff that Nick Saban puts together because you mentioned that 2021 class is on paper, maybe one of the greatest classes ever put together. We'll see how it ends up panning out three or four years down the road. But um, he got that class because he put together a good staff and it took him a couple of years to get that good staff after, after so much turnover. So 
you know, sometimes you kind of live and learn. And so the staff he puts together, he, you're always searching for excellent coaches on the field, but great recruiters. And I think that's where we'll learn how good the staff is, you know, six, seven, eight months down the road and how, how good the 2022 class is. But that's one thing I'm looking for. And then just development of some of the younger guys. We're going to have to see the younger guys, right? I mean, uh, you've lost your top two receivers. We've heard a lot about Javon Baker. We know what you have in Lil Billingsley as a receiving tight end. And so how those young receivers come in, what do we get to see the, the evolution of Bryce Young at quarterback? Um, I, I tend to think the defense will start off as the, as the stronger part of next year's team. But, um, you know, losing Christian Barmore, uh, losing Dylan Moses there in the middle. But they, they've uh, – Patrick Tertain, obviously. I, I think they got some pieces on defense. So, to me, it's it's all the skill position guys that you lost on offense, Najee Harris. We'll see what decision Brian Robinson makes, if he's going to take advantage of that extra year the NCAA is offering. I think they've, they've got some key cogs there, but they're going to have to be development. So, the development of that offensive skill position talent is probably one of the key things I'll be watching. One thing that I really like to look for is who makes themselves, who puts themselves in a position to make the most money. You think of Quinn and Williams in years past, and obviously Christian Harris is only a sophomore, but I think he's going to put himself in a position to be a high draft pick just with the way he's played the past two years going into his junior year. Who do you have an eye on that could really, you know, I think Christian Barmore, and you may have asked him this, made himself a lot of money in the national championship. Who's going to make themselves theoretically a lot of money in this offseason, in this 2021 season? I don't know about the money part, but one guy I really like that, that fans need to pay attention to is number 50. I think Tim, Timothy Smith, Tim Smith is going to be a wrecker by the time his career is over at Alabama. Um, he's only going to be a sophomore, so he won't be draft eligible. But um, I just think this guy's got star written all over him. I've been sort of touting Christian Harris for a couple of years now. He's got all SEC written all over him. Just a phenomenal athlete. Um, I was really, you know, these, these freshman DBs they had, William, this year from Malachi Moore to what we saw from Brian Branch. Uh, I know he's not a freshman, but I, I think DeMarco Helms, the way he stepped up when Jordan Battle got, got kicked out of the game for, for targeting. I think the second – a good Rose Bowl game too. Yeah, I, I think they got some, some real key pieces in that secondary, and those young defensive backs can really – make a name for themselves. I think Jordan Battle's ready to take the next step, but I think you're, I think you're right. Christian Harris is a guy. It's going to be his, he's going to be his defense next year, I think. And playing now as a two-year starter going into his junior year, he's got to be, the confidence is becoming great for him. So I, I think he's one to watch, but I don't know about the money part because he's still a year away from it being draft eligible, but I think Tim Smith's going to be a star in this defense. And then uh, I, I do want to ask you this. I think I've asked you this before, but everyone loves to gripe and complain. We were talking about how the national media would love to see, you know, more playoff teams, just something to diminish this Alabama program and the success that they're having. But every year around the month of December, early January, when the playoffs come around, people are complaining and griping about playoff expansion. So what would be your brief explanation as to why or why not the playoff does or does not need to be expanded? I've always thought college football was special because it's regular season had meaning. And I think the more we expand the playoff, really the less that becomes so. But I also see the inverse of that argument. The fact that there are so few teams that have a realistic shot of making the playoff that you can make the argument that it devalues the regular season too. Go to how many teams you want to go to. I'm fine with that, but don't, don't, at least, at least do it with some shred of integrity. I mean, because the thing that annoys me is, is, is national media that harp on 
how the players are being put upon, how the players are being mistreated. But they're the first ones that want to expand the season and make them play more games. I think the safe, safety and well-being of the player, uh, the players is, is first. And the more you expand the playoff, the more games they're going to have to play unless you get rid of regular season games, which I can't imagine any athletic director in the company and the country wants to take away home games, which are big paydays for their program. So there are a lot of questions that have to be answered. I'm fine with whatever you want to do, but at the end of the day, it's not going to change. The teams that recruit the best, the teams that develop those recruits the best, are going to continue to end up being in this position. And you can, you can expand the playoff to 64 teams if you want. That's not going to change. Well, maybe we should have expanded it this year so Ohio State played more than eight games, but that's a whole conversation for another time. Aaron, one more question for you. Um, a little bit on a lighter note, what is your favorite part of the offseason? Because there's so much speculation and people that track planes and license tags and cars and, you know, where's Saban going? What, what helicopters flying into the practice facility at Malmore? What do you enjoy about the offseason covering college football? I enjoy those first few weeks after the national championship game because I call it the crazy season because you're, you're trying to track um, the movements of, of current coaches on staff and if they're leaving and, and you're trying to um, piece together who are re- realistic candidates. And it just, there's a, there's a rhythm to it. You, you take a lot of phone calls and in most of it, you're chasing your tail because most of it's not true, but trying to keep up because in, most of it's not true because there are a ton of rumors out there. I mean, I don't know if fans just make them up on message boards, but you have to, you have to chase those rumors, whether they're true or not. So just the sort of rhythm and cadence of those first couple of weeks when there's just so much going on, there's a lot of adrenaline going because you're competitive and you're trying to get the story. So I enjoy those couple of weeks. And then I enjoy after that when it just falls off to nothing so I can catch my breath. Yeah. One thing I'm really good at is publishing these podcasts, which I'll do here shortly. And then within a matter of hours, there being some big breaking news and me not doing another podcast for another eight to 10 days. And so just based on my luck, I would look for a, um, I would expect a big Friday afternoon news dump, uh, maybe even after the five o'clock hours we've seen far too often in the past calendar year. Uh, Aaron Suttles of The Athletic, thank you so much for taking some time to come on the podcast once again. Enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks again to Aaron. One of the nicest people and a quick story about him. When I was an incoming freshman at the University of Alabama, I got a job and he DM'd me on Twitter. Congratulations. So always will remember that. His kindness and uh, taking the time to join the podcast. He's been on here multiple times. So thank you to Aaron Suttles for coming on to join the podcast once again. Great insight. And like he said, he's covered every Nick Saban National Championship at Alabama and this one was probably more special than the rest because of the dominating victory and because of the season that the Crimson Tide had to go through. So on that note, we go into Around Alabama Athletics here on the Galloway Podcast, and I've got a little jingle for you. I'm not going to sing, but everybody knows the 12 days of Christmas. Well, how about the 12 days of January? Alabama had arguably the best start to the first 12 days of the new year than compared to any other team in college football or any other athletic program in college athletics, if we're being honest here. So let's just take a quick look at what Alabama was able to accomplish in the first 12 days of the 2021 year. January 1st, football started off on the right foot in Dallas with a 31-14 win over Notre Dame. January 2nd, the men's basketball team had a win at number 7, Tennessee, 71-63. to We jump ahead a couple days to January 5th. Devontae Smith wins the Heisman Trophy. 
And Alabama men's basketball gets the win versus a very good Florida team, a 15-point win at that, 86-71. The next day, January 6th, Alabama took home nearly every trophy at the College Football Home Depot award show. I mean, you think uh, back to that day, January 6th, and I think seven awards came back to Tuscaloosa to Alabama players, and arguably it should have been more. Uh, Will Reichard was robbed of the special teams or kicker of the year, whatever it was called. Uh, Nick Saban did not get coach of the year, which I could go on an absolute rant about, but I'm not going to waste your time with that. Just know that Nick Saban is the greatest coach in college football, obviously was this year, and he should have been named the best coach and given that award that night. However, he was not. He did get named the Bear Bryant coach of the year uh, this week. That was his first time winning the award at the University of Alabama. I believe one day that award will be named after him. So, Kind of funny there. Uh, anyways, back to the 12 days of January. January 7th, women's basketball gets the win over LSU. That was 67-59. to January 8th through 10th, the men's tennis team started their spring season. They had 19 wins in three days, so a huge weekend for the men's tennis team. That January 8th, the gymnastics team defeated Kentucky. They had the highest season opening score since 2014, so Dana Duckworth and her squad getting 2021 started off on the right foot. January 9th, men's basketball that Saturday goes into Auburn, gets a four-point win over Auburn, who had Sharif Cooper, and he's playing really well for Auburn, but this is around Alabama Athletics, so we'll stick with the Crimson Tide. January 10th, women's basketball wins 80-56 to at Vanderbilt. January 11th, Alabama wins 50-24 to in the national championship to claim number 18 over Ohio State. And then January 12th, Alabama men's basketball Gets a 20-point win at Rupp Arena over Kentucky. 20 points. Nate Oates over John Calipari. Granted, Kentucky's slipping. They're not having a great year this year. But that doesn't diminish the fact that Alabama went into Rupp Arena and got a 20-point victory. Never in my life did I think, especially in my college career, after the horrid, horrid seasons from Avery Johnson, did I think I would ever see Alabama go into Rupp and win by 20. I was thinking about going up to Lexington. I didn't but I should have. But that's the 12 days of January. Obviously, we're now on January 15th. The success continues to happen. A big weekend for Alabama this weekend. Um, Softball schedules were announced. Baseball season, I believe, is 35 days away. Spring seasons are right around the corner, so getting ready for that. It's a really exciting time as football is wrapping up, but the late signing period is coming up. You've got men's basketball, women's basketball. Women's basketball is 11-1. That's their record. They got a win at Mississippi State on Thursday night. They had an incredible 50-something to 30-something second half score. Just unbelievable. Uh, Ran up on the Mississippi State Bulldogs in Starkville. They've won two in a row there. So all around, needless to say, after all that information and all those numbers and all those scores, Alabama basketball is doing really well, and Greg Byrne has got to have a big smile on his face. I'll have a story on that coming up this weekend on WVUA 23 Sports. You can check that out on the 12 Days of Christmas. Get an audio and video view of everything that's happened so far to make this 2021 so successful. That's going to do it here for us on the Galloway Podcast. This is episode 65. It's been a really, really good ride. We're going on three years of the Galloway Podcast coming up here shortly. So I want to thank everybody for, excuse me, this is episode 64. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going on three years of the Galloway podcast. Really want to thank everybody for their 
support and appreciation of the podcast. Never did I think it would get this far, but we're only continuing to grow and build on that as we head into the spring semester of 2021. Episode 64 of the Galloway Podcast. Today we talked to Aaron Suttles. We went around Alabama athletics in the first 12 days of January. Also breaking down what's new in the world of sports as Urban Meyer is the new coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I want to remind everybody you can check me out on WVUA 23 every Saturday and Sunday night with your sportscast, WVUA 23 and WVUA23.com. Check that out. Local news in the Tuscaloosa area, recapping University of Alabama, local high school sports, and national sports as well, and, and whatever the breaking news is there. So episode 64 of the Galloway Podcast. Also, if you want a white Nike Galloway Podcast hat, those are for sale. I've got a couple mugs left. I've got a couple tumblers left and some golf towels. So if you're looking for any Galloway Podcast merchandise, let me know on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway. Once again, thank you to everybody for choosing the Galloway Podcast. This is episode 64 of the Galloway Podcast. Where There's the right way, there's the wrong way, and there's the Galloway.